Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. At booksandnachos.com, you can find over 100 reviews from fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more. There's also links to our forums, our Facebook and Twitter pages, and information about our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. At booksandnachos.com, we're here to find you something great to read. Diane, it's May 2017, and we're unveiling the secret history of Twin Peaks. This is Stuart. This is Arnie, and I know we're going to be talking about some secret history. Are we going to be talking about Twin Peaks? I've read this book. Is there much Twin Peaks in here? Oh, yeah, I think there is, as it pertains to aliens, not a whole lot of Laura Palmer. You know, the name Secret, you think of Secret Diary, tying back to the bestseller that they had in their heyday. This doesn't feel like that diary at all. But this is a book by Mark Frost that came out on the cusp of the new season of Twin Peaks on Showtime. They'd announced it was coming back. They'd announced Lynch was doing it. There was so much mystery. There still, as of this recording, is so much mystery. They've released the first quote-unquote new footage as of this recording where it's some establishing shots and somebody walking through a puddle. But that's what David Lynch will show. And so Mark Frost, who's writing all the new episodes coming out with the secret history of Twin Peaks. My God, when I heard about this, I was so excited. I'm like, well, this is going to prep me, right? I'm used to reading Star Wars books that come out before the movies, and they're like the prequel to the movie and the following to the movie and the bridge between the last movie and this movie. Secret history of Twin Peaks must be the secrets of the past 25 years, right? That's how they build it. I remember when I was reading about this, They were saying that this is going to catch you up with the characters, what they've been doing in between season two and season three. So I assumed that it was going to be that. I really wanted to read this book, but because of our workload and because of my life, I just didn't make time until this past week. So uh, it's really fresh in my mind, and it is really different than what I thought it was going to be. As soon as it came out, I bought it. On Kindle, I bought it on audiobook, and I bought it on hardback, just because I'm a Twin Peaks fan, I'm a collector, I wanted the audiobook and the hardback for my shelf, but I wanted the Kindle to actually read. I'm going to just start by saying, this is a horrible, horrible audiobook. It has like 20 voice actors. It got Mm. Kyle MacLachlan back. It got a lot of people to do a lot of voices, but this entire thing is almost like a clipbook. It is so many footnotes and everything that it is a completely interrupted flow. In fact, I didn't even like the Kindle version because at least on my iPad and my iPhone, I was hopping back and forth to the footnotes so often and the hyperlinking and the Kindle app didn't quite work right. I found the best way to read this was actually the physical book where I could just flip pages. Yeah, I agree with that. It's the only way that I had it, and I loved having it in that way because it is a very sensory experience. You're going to get lots of pictures, historical, supposedly. It's a dossier. So really, this is an assembly of newspaper scraps, old emails, lots of different kinds of transcriptions and correspondences collected by an unknown author or authors, someone that is referred to as the archivist. And I think one of the central mysteries that is revealed here is who that archivist is. Yeah, we're given two mysteries from the outset. 
One is, who is the archivist who put this together? And the second is, who is the FBI agent who has been given this dossier by Agent Gordon Cole, David Lynch's character from the series, with the mission of determining the archivist? And we're just told it's Special Agent T.P., which, of course, makes me think toilet paper, but... Or Twin Peaks. Okay, that too, but when you say T.P., I go one specific way with it. And I don't feel bad in spoiling her name. We'll find out at the very end. It's Tamara Preston, who is not a character from the series that we have seen yet. I don't know if they're a character that's going to appear in season three. This could be a character strictly here in the literary universe to decipher all the stuff that didn't get in the show. In which case, saving her name for the very last page is the most idiotic of reveals because... That is what this book does, is it waits till the very last pages. Are there clues? Could you possibly guess who the archivist is? I don't know. Maybe? I assumed it was Cooper had created a dossier about what had been happening, or evil Cooper. I thought that, but there is a section that is compiled by Cooper right. that the archivist says Cooper did this. So right. it kind of rules out people by who it includes stuff from. I'll say, and we'll hold on to it, but I like who the archivist is when that's revealed. But who Tamara Preston is, is she going to be in season three? Or is she going to be the architect of the next book by Mark Frost? You know, is she going to be the one who's writing that, which is then supposedly going to fill this 25 years between the two series, the book that's coming out after Showtime season three? Who did the voice? Do you know? Did you recognize? Is it Laura Dern, Jennifer Jason Leigh, anyone that we would know from season three? Her name's Annie Wershing. She was on 24. All right. Well, then nothing's really revealed there. It doesn't necessarily mean they're not a character. It could just be waiting to surprise us. But I'll say this much. In the recent Entertainment Weekly that came out, David Lynch was asked about this secret history book because everybody wants to know what's season three. What kind of clues can we have? I got the strong impression David Lynch has never looked at this book. What he told the reporter is, well, it's Mark Frost's history of Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, and that has always been, we talk about that when we covered the shows. Uh, it was, they had a somewhat collaborative and sometimes combative relationship in that I think they started on the same page. They really created that pilot and that world together, but... Frost wanted to take the series in a different direction, and that became really sort of a stalemate of season two about who had control. And I wonder maybe why we get so much UFO stuff in here. That was the stuff that Mark Frost always wanted to be in the series that David Lynch nixed. And that is what we're going to get is basically, it's called The Secret History of Twin Peaks, but it's a slightly fictionalized X-Files-ish alien government conspiracy story as told by the archivist through primarily the actions of Dougie Milford, who, if you remember the first series, was the old man who ran the newspaper, the mayor's brother who married Lana the witch and died with a big smile on his face on his honeymoon night. Not a bad idea. I mean, I do think that those were two characters that are old enough to have a long history, and we don't know much about them. Having watched all 30 episodes of the show, I think they were basically comic relief. We laughed at them because they were fighting over women and had a long-standing beef, but that they had other lies and that they were tied in with some of the supernatural forces in the woods, I, I think I can go with that. 
I think I'd go with a log lady or something more than I'd go with the buffoons. I mean, these two, you called them on our now peaking episode, Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets, mm. and you pegged it with that. And so I can't imagine Statler having a secret history of being at Roswell, New Mexico, and being at Area 51, and investigating and going undercover and doing all these deep researches, only to then end up the buffoon in Twin Peaks. Well, you know, that is the thing about old age, is that you can completely reinvent yourself. You can be a kindly old man, and all of your dark past uh, gets gets lost, because no one is around anymore to remember it. But most of this book, uh, the time frame, begins really almost 200 years before the TV series. They actually start with when the area was first explored and colonized by... Western civilization, and Lewis and Clark, I mean, 1800s, they actually start with the famous explorers meeting a tribe of Indians who have some contact with the white people that live in the mountain. And we start getting very early on inferences of, yeah, maybe the giant, the little man from another place, all the classic characters. Yeah, Ben Franklin is the origin here. He told President Jefferson that there was a mysterious force out in the American West. And so Jefferson sent Lewis to investigate. Lewis and Clark didn't quite have the same mission. Lewis was more in Jefferson's trust. And so Jefferson told Lewis, hey, there's these supernatural forces Franklin has told me about. And we're going to get into stuff with the Illuminati and the Masons and... Wow, that was not what I expected. I have to admit, there was some whiplash induced when I was reading this. And I'm like, wait, I thought I'd be reading about Nadine and the little man. And You do. I mean, they're there. But I mean, I think, to be fair, a history of a town, it's not a history of a people. It's a history of a town. And we get that right from before it was Twin Peaks. It was an Indian tribe, and they knew that land, and they created that petroglyph in Owl Cave, and they have the ring, that evil ring we saw in the Fire Walk With Me movie. It winds up with Meriwether Lewis, and he probably dies because people, forces, are trying to collect it, perhaps the Illuminati, whose sign is the owl. I had to spend so much time fact-checking, and I'll admit, this book was educational to me. I didn't know that Lewis died penniless and alone at a young age. I didn't know all of this about the Illuminati. A lot of this is reality mixed with fiction. Some of these letters are accurate. The stuff that Tamara Preston Marks verified, I went and I independently verified with Wiki and other sources. And yeah, a lot of this is true fact stuff I never learned in history class. And then the stuff where Preston says, I can't verify this. I have handwriting experts looking at this. This looks to be real. That's where Mark Frost is going off on his own. I get the impression that Mark Frost has more than a passing interest in alien conspiracy theories, because otherwise, why would you write something like this? How would you have all of this even to consider writing unless these conspiracy theories are something that vexes you? Yeah, I personally 
like that style. I mean, I, I like historical fiction, you know, the idea that we're going to blur it and sometimes you feel like you're getting nonfiction and sometimes you know that they're pulling your leg and if they're skillful, sometimes you can't tell the difference. And I was shocked by some of the things that were true in this book. I mean, I was really impressed with the level of research and yeah, the passion for the subject matter. I do think we get a character origin very early on. If you're not wanting to read about Indians being displaced and logging and gold mining, is this the origin of Bob in 1879? We get uh, some diary pages from a outlaw named Wayne Chance who has gone gold prospecting at Owl Cave with his friend Denver Bob. And Denver Bob disappears, and then I think this guy gets killed. I never put that together with the Bob bit. Is Denver Bob Bob? I believe that he could definitely have been panning for gold. He looks, the hair, yes. <laughs> he's got the frontier fashion sense. Yeah, I guess I just would have expected more of a southern drawl and a hat. But yeah, the even the denim, I could kind of see that as cowboy. I hadn't before. I always thought Metallica roadie, but... Yeah, and the Pierce Nose tribe, these are the people that Hawk is from, and so there are ties to current Twin Peaks characters, even in this early stuff, that may or may not be of interest to you. It really depends on how interested you are in American history. I do feel like the first hundred pages are just looking at Manifest Destiny and the way that white people colonized the West. I started to have problems reading into all of this, though, because... I'm less interested in historical fiction. I'm less interested still when it's not story-driven. This is epistolary. This is these, this person's letters, then that person's letters. And as soon as I'd start to get into a certain section, we're going to jump. And this part in the 1800s, I flipped ahead to see how many pages it was going to be until I at least got to the 20th century. Because, yes, I admit, I'll agree with you, it is the history of the town. I'm like, okay, they're really going back. We're going to Lewis and Clark. We're going to the Discovery. We're going to see the original mountains. We're going to talk about the loggers that came and how the Packard Mill started against the Martell Mill, all of that, some of which does jibe with the access guide to Twin Peaks we discussed a couple weeks ago. But Unless they were name-dropping a name like Milford or Packard or something, I found myself really frustrated because it's kind of obtuse. It's not dealing enough with a mystery. It's dealing so much in history that I just didn't find myself intrigued by it. Well, you know, it is called secret history and not the mysteries of Twin Peaks. And right up at the top, the archivist makes a really cool distinction between the two. Mysteries are from nature. They're God hasn't unveiled to us. They're things that we don't understand yet. But secrets are humans suppressing knowledge. And so what we really have are not explanations for the supernatural. We don't understand what they are, but we do see a long history of people trying to keep that knowledge away from the public. And that's really what Dougie Milford does. He is MIB. I mean, I think that, you know, he had early on in the 20s an incident as a child where he saw a giant owl. I took it as the owl was like as big as the giant, like a seven foot owl. And it inferred that that's the same owl that may have taken the log lady because we know she has the symbol from an early abduction or encounter of some kind. The same that Major Briggs would have later on where the two symbols together would lead to the owl cave in those later episodes. 
And so her abduction is discussed, and yeah, Dougie Milford has his here. Yeah, and his brother is a scoutmaster on a trip where they find the Glastonbury Grove with the circle of trees and the stinking oil and footprints that imply that the giant was there. And, you know, there's mentions of electricity, lightning being part of the force of the supernatural. Yes, we get the idea that as a youth, Milford was exposed to the forces in Twin Peaks and would devote the rest of his life to keeping that knowledge from other people. He would go and eventually enlist in the Army, Air Force, and wind up ultimately working in a whole host of programs that kept investigating UFOs at the same time that they would create false stories. Yeah, because it sounds like he was not a very good army man. He was brought up on charges of trafficking stolen army property and things. But then it sounds like he may have been at Roswell, New Mexico, and perhaps even was the one who shot down the alien. And thus he became on the radar. He's going to be charged by various government organizations up to President Nixon personally charging him <laughs> yeah. with going and investigating UFO stuff. And yeah, he's going to be the one putting it all together. And yet there are even going to be forces working against him, it turns out. Even higher up people. He was left chasing after table scraps. There are even bigger secrets that even he was left out of. Conspiracies on top of conspiracies on top of conspiracies. Do, 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 do. This is really feeling more like Mulder and Scully, which was a Twin Peaks ripoff, than it is feeling like Twin Peaks. The thing is, David Lynch is probably not going to explore all of this stuff in detail. I'm thinking that maybe a Blue Rose is a reference to Project Blue Book. But other than that, I just don't see Lynch going the route of aliens. Oddly enough, however, before Twin Peaks, these two worked on a different pitch for a TV series called The Lemurians. And they've actually worked that into this story. One of the possible theories about what these aliens are is that there's a race of aliens known as the Lemurians. It comes out of a science fiction story, but it ends up getting verified by various eyewitness accounts that are living under volcanoes and that they actually are the inspiration for L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology. I read that. I did not know that that was their other television pilot. I did think that maybe they were referencing Scientology and Xenu, so I did, again, start wikiing and everything and found out that, no, that's actually something out there. L. Ron Hubbard himself is going to become a character in this. My favorite section of the book, actually, partly because I knew a scientist that worked at JPL, the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, California. I had no idea that it had ties to mysticism, Satanism, Aleister Crowley. All this stuff was like a lightning bolt. I could not believe the truth of those stories. And then, of course, the fiction, the idea that Nixon and L. Ron Hubbard are going to be the heroes to put down the Aleister Crowley Club. Uh, yeah, it was just really full of irony, a lot of fun, and really eye-opening. It's really when this novel is at its best, when it's being both funny and revealing secrets. Yeah, I agree. I didn't know anything about the Jet Propulsion Lab. Again, I'm spending half my time flipping between Wiki and this book because I'm like, okay, is this a real person? What are they saying about them that's real? It honestly made me wonder how many lawyers had to pull their hair out about what you could and couldn't say about real people. And I know per 
various things. Once the people are deceased, you have a little bit more <laughs> you have a little bit more liberty with what you can do with them. And most of the people written about are dead. But I'm like, yeah, Elrond Hubbard, he really did rip this guy off and steal his wife and his boat. <laughs> it's really. I didn't see Elrond Hubbard as a hero so much as everybody was just... Well, only in the sense that they exposed the Satanist in JPL and got them ostracized. But yeah, that that's not a heroic act. And it's obviously, it's hypocritical when you look at some of the things he would do in his own life. And the fact that this book points out that he was working with the JPL and learning about their mm-hmm. quote-unquote religion. And then when you look at Scientology, a lot of the tenets of the witchcraft and things that were being used are tenants of Scientology. It's, it is very telling for those who want to see that. And taking Twin Peaks and fiction completely out of it, I enjoyed the stuff I was learning about the various history and undercurrent of cults and UFO mysteries in America. Whether they actually be real or not, a lot of truth is here. A UFO incident that Dougie is going to investigate where some people claim fuselage landed on their boat and killed their children that's actually a real incident i liked all of that stuff i didn't fact check everything but i i got to the point where i trusted tamara she does a good job of footnoting when she can find the backup to prove that what's being said is true and i just got to trust her i ended up liking her she's got kind of a funny aside she's a big movie buff and so she's always talking about the way that boy this sounds like close encounters or that robert redford movie or whatever and and because i have my film background that to me was a lot of fun because i was having those thoughts i'm like you're right that does sound like uh it could be inspired by spielberg i liked it when she was talking about the josie packard stuff during the twin peaks series and Called it out like they really just ripped off this movie. Body Heat. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I hadn't put that together. But uh, yeah, the boat accident is straight out of Body Heat. Sorry to spoil Body Heat for you. Well, you mentioned Josie. Let's talk about everyone else. Because yes, while the bulk is about UFOs, there are throughout the novel and really in the center of it, a big devotion to catching people up on both the backstory of some beloved characters and what happened to them. There are, in a few cases, we do learn some important things about cliffhangers. Uh, you know, Audrey Horn is not dead. She survived that bank explosion because of Pete sacrificing himself. And they kind of retconned it that she actually was protesting her father. That instead, uh, you know, it seemed like she was working with her father to expose Catherine when you watch the show. But they kind of bring it back to she was always battling her father. And I think that's what I imagine they're going to have the characters at at the beginning of season three. And I mentioned this on Now Peaking during one of those last episodes. They do say Pete Martell died, shielding her from the blast, trying to jump towards her. I mean, of course, we know Jack Nance, the actor, is dead, so they couldn't bring Pete back. So having him go out heroically, that does tell us that character. The most interesting thing I found is Agent Cooper left town. Mm. They mentioned that he had gone. So whenever he got infested or possessed by Bob, they didn't hang around. So he did meet with Major Briggs that night and Briggs was starting to suspect something it sounded like. But you're right. We won't know what he was doing for the last 25 years because those stories are still classified. We're told that Cole is withholding some information and it's all Cooper stuff. Yeah, and I did really like, I was reading the portion of the book where Major Briggs, let's just spoil it, the archivist is Major Briggs. Mm -hmm. And 
I really like that turn. I never got his voice in this, but then when I thought about some of the stuff, like you mentioned, where they talk about the mysteries versus the secrets, he always was a bit of a philosopher on that show. Mm -hmm. He was always very level-headed, and his job was to expose mysteries. And when we saw him at the end of the series, he was questioning his superiors. He was starting to reveal classified information because he didn't think his superiors were completely on the up and up either. He was still a major. They never promoted him. I never realized that, but major is pretty low for his age. He should have been much higher in rank. I guess I just watched too much Major Dad. You know, Gerald <laughs> McRaney was pretty old too, so I never thought about it. Yeah, yeah. So I was reading this as we were recording the now peaking of the series finale or the season two finale. So I just saw the TV version where Cooper hits the mirror, does the toothpaste, says, how's Annie? And then I got to read Briggs' version of it, and it goes a little bit further, a little bit further still than even the cut scenes from Firewalk with me, but it's still not all that satisfying. Yeah, if that's the stuff you wanted, and come on, we all did on a certain level, we want secrets. We know Lynch is hiding things, and come on, Frost, you can show us. You'll do it for us. They're really not going to do that. They really are going to keep all the details under wraps. You know, there are some that aren't satisfying. I got to say, they do some retcons that really are perplexing. It's a choice. I know it must be a choice because Mark Frost wrote the episode where Ed told how he shot out Nadine's eyes. Yeah, what is up with that? That is completely different here. Yeah, they've just decided in some circumstances we're not going to do what we did in the show. And I don't know if it works better for them in season three or whether he's just forgotten in the 25 years. That is honestly my question is, did he just forget what he wrote where we rewatching the series knew this stuff better than he did, and he maybe rewatched the series, but he knew it so well, he'd lived with it so much, he paid half attention and didn't tell the same story as to how the whole courtship between Ed and Nadine is entirely different. Yeah, not even close. I mean, you can't even try and give that, oh, maybe this happened and what the show said. No, he ended up being a Vietnam vet and they met many years later out of high school and she was jealous and chased him down. The only thing I really learned out of this that I liked was I never realized what the double R in the diner was. It was a railroad cafe, the RR. Oh, never got that either out of the show. I never even thought about it, really. Yeah, you just take some things <laughs> for granted, but Marty, which you'll see on the sign, was the owner of the railroad cafe and it kind of blurred into uh, what Norma runs now. And another thing I think is surprising, because so much of the Twin Peaks soap opera, the crux of it is about Laura, and all the ads about season three still tell me it's about Laura Palmer, that's only a few pages here. I guess because it's so well covered at this point, but just very little details about Teresa Banks, Laura Palmer, Maddie Ferguson, Leland Palmer, who they were and why they died, is really just reminded if in case you had forgotten and hadn't watched the show recently they just kind of catch you up on it and they lie and say laura was 18 she was 17 <laughs> we had that discussion too where it's a little iffy and again the diary doesn't entirely coalesce with the tv series doesn't coalesce at all with the access guide and even here yeah a lot of continuity errors even hawk in the access guide it said Hawk was a Zuni Native American. Here, it's Nez Pierce. Judging by his image from what little promotionals we've seen of season three, I have a feeling perhaps him being Nez Pierce may play a big role in it now. Yeah, the question is, as I close the cover on this, 
Did I learn anything that gives me a leg up? I definitely felt that Secret Diary of Laura Palmer spoiled season two for me. I was able to anticipate some of the big plot turns because I had read that book. I don't walk away from this feeling that other than I feel like there's another murder. This dossier was found at a quote-unquote crime scene, and I think... My theory is Major Briggs got killed. I know the actor's dead, so they can't use him. And he's so central here that I think that it's his corpse. That's an interesting theory. I hadn't put that together. I did think there was another murder. I think that's what's going to bring Cooper back, Mm. is that there's another murder in Twin Peaks, and he's going to have to return to this town under assignment and perhaps no more than he appears this time. But would it be Major Briggs' death? That would be really interesting to me. I mean, he was such a central point of the mystery, and I was very sad when I found out that that actor did pass. He was pretty open on the bonus features. If you get the box set, you get a tour of his house, and he talks about his divorces, and (laughs) I found out all that, and then I found out he was dead. It was a really, it was a crushing blow to find that out. So it was him and Bob and the little man. I mean, those are the three that it really hurts aren't coming back for season three. Yeah, I again, without speculating too much about what we're going to get, and just looking at what we have here to review, I don't think that this is going to be the spoiler that maybe many people that buy it want it to be. But I do think it's a good refresher course on all the characters. I think everyone gets a mention, even people in the movie. Harry Dean Stanton character, the guy that ran the trailer park, he was one of the people that got abducted with Margaret. So everyone, I mean, Kiefer Sutherland, David Bowie, they're all in this thing at one point or another. I did like that Kiefer Sutherland's character was kind of a washout. He was not a very... (laughs) He quit right afterwards. He was a drunk, which, you know, Kiefer at the time was struggling with his own substance abuse, and it was unpopular, I think, on this set. And they also include David Bowie's character of Jeffries, the time-traveling, disappearing agent from Firewalk With Me. There's not a lot of Firewalk With Me here, but there is a little bit. But yeah, if there's any lingering questions from the stuff in the 90s, that you hoped would be answered here because they're not going to get back to it in the series. I don't think you're going to find answers here. You're going to find ideas here. This almost feels to me like one of those Bibles that writers have in the writer's room that doesn't tell you the story you're going to write, but it tells you the facts about the character's history. So when you want to bring up this person went to high school with this other person you have this looking at here. The most exposed character are the aliens. I mean, I did feel like who I learned the most about were the Lemurians or, you know, sometimes they're called the Nordics or the Greys, the classic alien, the bug-eyed little guys. All of them get a mention here and they can be dismissed. I mean, it ultimately, the note left on is maybe it's all a hoax or maybe it is where all the crazy characters from another dimension come to Twin Peaks. But I feel like that is Mark Frost, the way that he thinks about it, but not necessarily what the series will expose. Yeah, I just keep going back to the story of the series finale of Twin Peaks, how Frost and Peyton had this entire King Arthurian plot, and Lynch said, I'm going to direct it, came in, tore up the script, wrote something almost entirely new, And that is the genius episode we got. So even if Frost, when writing this book and when writing the scripts, had some ideas, I'm going to take season three here. That doesn't mean Lynch agreed and Lynch appears to have final say in all of this. 
Yeah. So that said, I enjoyed this book. I'm going to go ahead and say what I enjoyed about it was the ties to American history. I think if you're a history buff, seeing the interplay between the true and the mythology is a lot of fun. Like I said, L. Ron Hubbard and Nixon and all the historical characters. Eisenhower apparently met aliens. All of that stuff to me was really satisfying. And I really like the way that this is written. You know, you're working through bits of evidence. I mean, it feels like you're a detective. You're looking at photographs. You're looking at all kinds of different transcriptions. Some of my favorite books are written that way. David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest or House of Leaves. There's, It's just a style that everyone's going to like. I do feel like it disrupts a narrative. I think Arnie's got a point there. But if you play detective, it, it puts you in the mentality of you're the one doing the investigation. You're pouring over the clues. I think it's really involving. To offer a counter perspective there, I had real trouble getting into this book. What I got out of it was a knowledge of real world history. I enjoyed what I learned from wikiing things brought up here far more than anything I got out of the book itself. It set me on trails of knowledge that I enjoyed, but as far as reading, I started this book as soon as it came out, which has been about five months now. I just finished it last week, <laughs> and that's because Stuart said, okay, we're recording next week, and so I just knuckled down at a convention waiting in line for Stan Lee's autograph and said, I'm going to finish this thing. And finally just forced myself to finish it. And it got better as it went along. I think as I went to modern times, as I dealt with Nixon, as they got more into aliens and less into gold prospecting at Lewis and Clark, it got better. But I never got into this book. I never could say I enjoyed this book. And I'm used to books like this. I guess it wasn't completely novel. I've read a lot of nonfiction books. There's a series of books by Chronicle Books called The Vault. There's the Marvel Vault, the Star Wars Vault, where you find replicas of handwritten notes by George Lucas. And you go page by page, and it's all this memorabilia. It's almost a collectible in stored in pages. And so that's what this felt like to me, but a fictional version. It didn't tie into the series of old enough to fulfill a nostalgic desire. Maybe when I finish season three, I'll be able to go, oh yeah, all this Nez Pierce stuff, all this Lewis and Clark stuff, it really does matter. But looking forward to season three, I don't feel it whetted my appetite for that new season. God knows I want that season enough, but nothing in here heightened that anticipation. And in the end, I think it's Lynch of the Lynch-Frost partnership that I look to to give me my Twin Peaks. I enjoyed Firewalk With Me more than I enjoyed this. Wow. And Firewalk With Me is Lynch No Frost. This is Frost No Lynch. And I get Firewalk With Me and not recommend. Oh, yeah. No, I, I yeah. I mean, I've said my piece about Firewalk With Me. And uh, no, I feel all the books. I just want to say I really enjoyed all the different takes. It's hard to do to take a series that people love that's very quirky and cinematic and translate that to another medium. And they, I feel like every book I've enjoyed something about. Probably my least favorite was the autobiography of Cooper. But all of them, I think, had added something to the lore and, and built the universe. And even if this doesn't come out meaning much, even if what's explored here is not what's in the show, I still had a good time. I'd say my least favorite book was Access Guide, with this being a close second, and they both have a lot in common. Yeah, they are. Uh, I feel like Access Guide was all trivia, all silliness, whereas this one, it definitely feels like Mark Frost, at least, thinks this UFO stuff is important. But 
I thought when we were planning to record this, it would be our last Books and Nachos for Twin Peaks. There is another. On Halloween of this year, long after Showtime's season has ended, Twin Peaks The Final Dossier is coming out by Mark Frost. The teaser is the crucial sequel to the New York Times best-selling The Secret History of Twin Peaks. This novel bridges the two series and takes you deeper into the mysteries raised by the new series. Crucial. Okay, that's not a word I'd use for this secret history, so that should be interesting. And of course, you know, knowing that we'll have seen all 18 hours of this Twin Peaks, that's definitely going to color our perspective going into the last book. I'm excited about for all of it. I'm slightly worried because does this mean that they saw the 18 hours, they now know what the series is and went... Well, we left a lot of question marks here. Let's just put a book together to kind of put a bow on it. Well, or at least Mark Frost saw it and said, hey, you cut my scene about this or that. I mean, keep in mind, these are two very creative individual people, but Lynch is going to have the final say in the show. The dossier, I imagine, will be Frost having his final say. And at least with Frost having written Secret History, whereas I firmly believe Lynch never read it and... Even Jennifer Lynch believes Lynch never read The Secret Diary. With Frost writing the scripts and Frost hopefully in lockstep with Lynch, I think when the two work together is when the show is best. So let's hope that Lynch puts a little bit more weird to this X-Files-ish idea. And let's hope that Frost grounds it a little bit more. But I'm talking more about the series than I am about this book now. So I'll just stop and tell our listeners if they want to hear us talk Twin Peaks the series... Go to nowpeakingpodcast.com. We have reviewed every episode, and as of now, every book, everything Twin Peaks has mm-hmm. been covered. Yeah, we haven't covered the t-shirts, I suppose. But yeah, otherwise, yeah. Oh, I have some new action figures I actually want to show you out in the hallway. <laughs> they just came out with a four-pack, including a dead Laura figure that's causing quite a bit of controversy. Ah, I can imagine. <laughs> but yeah, other than the toys, we've covered it all. And it's all at nowpeakingpodcast.com. The first episode where we discuss the pilot is free. Every other episode is a donation episode where you support all the shows we do. Now Playing, Books and Nachos, Now Peaking. And yeah, as Showtime does all its new episodes this summer, we're going to be there to review them as well. So we hope you'll join us. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. Stuart will be back. Yes, they put on the same weekend the premiere of Twin Peaks and the sequel to, or the next Ridley Scott Alien movie, two big favorites of mine. They have written, apparently, a comic book, 500 pages, that ties the mythos of Alien vs. Predator to Prometheus. I don't know how to feel about that, but I will be covering it next week. And then, of course, getting through all of the rest of the Doom novels shortly thereafter. Oh, you're still doing those. I am, I swear. I've read them, and I've just got to put my thoughts down. There are many. And I'm still doing Stephen King, too, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) One day, yeah, maybe this summer. Maybe after I'm done, I'll step aside and let you get back to Firestarter. I'm excited. They've announced a remake. (laughs) (laughs) But will you make it in time? (laughs) So thank you for listening. We hope you've had fun. And remember, until next time, to support your local podcaster. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. Now that you've heard this review, head to nowpeaking.com to hear Arnie, Stuart, and Jacob review every episode of the Twin Peaks TV series. 
You can also find many more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Books and Nachos is a crowdsourced podcast with no sponsors or ads. You can support our show by pledging to our Podbean campaign at booksandnachos.com slash support. Music is by Angelo Badalamenti. Music arranged by Aaron Lepley. This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the well-known TV program Twin Peaks. Books and Nachos is an independent television review podcast with no affiliation with Twin Peaks Productions Incorporated or any other company involved in the publishing, creating, or distribution of that show. All audio and music used in this show are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. The opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Books and Nachos is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved, and no part of the show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated.